Come on, everybody say Acts. All right, if you got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Yeah, we get excited about the Word of God. We love the Word of God. It's better than the NBA Finals. It's better than Golden State Warriors. It's better than Steph Curry. It's better than your favorite team, Boston Celtics. It's better than whatever you've been watching on TV. We, listen, if the world gets to shout for all the sports teams and celebrities, we should shout for the Bible. This is a first down. When we open up the Bible, that first scripture, it's like a big first down for our home team. So Acts chapter 7, verse 1, and uh, we have been in this series on Acts these last seven weeks. It's my favorite series we've done as a church. It is a 28-chapter book that we're going to stay in until we finish, line upon line, verse upon verse. We've been talking about how God birthed his early church with unity, with prayer, with uh, a, a commitment to serve one another, help one another, um, helping the poor, being generous. By the way, y'all's generosity has been helping so many people these last several weeks. We've been able to minister. Our benevolence ministry has just increased so much um, because of this series. People are catching wind of, of what happened in the early church in the book of Acts how they helped take care of each other's needs. And people are saying, what can I do for others? I got an email yesterday uh, from, from several of our single parent moms saying, thank you for the single parent ministry. You guys came out. You mowed my lawn. You fixed my car. There's people in the church that are just ministering, meeting people's needs, showing up for people. And so when we got to last week, we talked about at the end of Acts 6, how Stephen was chosen among six other guys to help minister to widows. And they were helping wait on tables. They were um, giving out food. They were working at a restaurant that just gave food out for free to all those who were widows. By the way, we have a widow's ministry here at Victory, Widows and Widowers, where we are constantly uh, ministering and helping take care of widows. If you are one, let us know. We want to get you on that list to minister to you, take care of you. That's the heart of God is to minister to widows and orphans, looking out for one another. And uh, my mom does a great job working with Grand Grand to find out as many widows widowers that we can serve here in the church. But Stephen was one of these guys that was doing that. And all of a sudden, people started stirring up slander against Stephen. They started saying, this guy's been preaching the gospel while he's waiting on tables. He's one of those waiters at Cheesecake Factory that just wants to minister to you. He's one of those guys. Y'all know, you know those waiters and waitresses at restaurants that just witness here in Tulsa? I'm so thankful. They're from our church. They're just sharing the love of Jesus they're encouraging you. I'm so, I'd rather have a waiter waitress that's, that, that's speaking encouragement, that's witnessing, than one that's angry and rude and frustrated. By the way, make sure you tip your waiters and waitresses. You don't know what they're walking through. We don't know what they're dealing with. And uh, we don't know what, what's causing the hurt or the pain. We all have battles we're going through. But Stephen was witnessing. He was sharing the gospel and people got angry. At the end of Acts chapter 6, he was thrown in a circle of a, a group called the Sanhedrin. They were looking intently at Stephen. They were frustrated. They were bitter. They were mad at him. And in verse 1 of Acts chapter 7, it said, the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges that everyone is bringing against you true? Are they true? Are these things so? 
And I want to title this message, I Forgive You. Turn to that person next to you and say, I, can you say it? <laughs> You're like, don't make me say that right now. You don't know what kind of fight we had before walking into church. You don't know what it was like in the minivan with our kids on the way here. Oh, trust me. We know. We know. Just say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Three of the most powerful words in the world. Three of the most powerful words are, I forgive you. Those words can change the world. Those words can heal families. They can restore relationships. Those words can stop someone from doing something extremely harmful to their life, to the lives of others. If only we walked in more forgiveness, our world would be in a better place. It's one of those meat and potatoes messages. It's not super complex. It's all throughout scripture, but forgiveness is a big idea. It's a very hard thing to do. Thousands of times it's mentioned from Genesis to Revelation, not just forgiveness of mankind towards one another, but most importantly, the forgiveness we all need from God. I mean, in the beginning, when man sinned, the very first thing that happened was man ran from God, hid from God, ashamed in sin, feeling overwhelmed in our, in our guilt, in our sense of God could never forgive me if he knew what I did. And because he can't forgive me, I'm going to pass this same shame on to my kids from Adam and Eve. They have children. And what are their kids' names? Cain and Abel. And what happens with their shame and unforgiveness? It leads to more hurt. See, undealt with resentment, shame, hurt, anger just keeps being passed on from generation to generation. From Cain and Abel, it would later on be passed down to Noah and his kids. From Noah and his kids, it'd be passed down to Abraham and Lot. Between Abraham and Lot, they just couldn't get along with each other. It would be passed down to Isaac and Ishmael. And between Isaac and Ishmael, it would be passed down to Jacob and Esau. And we see these brothers hating each other. And you go, what does this have to do with 2022? What does this have to do with what I'm going through right now in my family? What's going on in America right now? What does this have to do with the shootings that have been happening in our nation? It has everything to do with what we're seeing right now in our nation. Nine days ago, a shooting that happened in our own city at St. Francis Hospital was an act of extreme hatred, an act of undealt with resentment. And I know that there was demonic strongholds that were messing with this man's mind, but ultimately anger that is undealt with that starts at a young age that's passed down from one dad to another dad, to another dad, to a son, to a son, to a son. As that anger builds up, the ultimate act of anger is murder. As, as policemen and, and federal investigators were looking into what happened in Tulsa and what happened in Uvalde, Texas, and what happened in all of these different shootings, it all comes back to people who, who carry a grudge, a bitterness in their heart towards any institution, any person, any family, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, that undealt with anger starts festering. It starts festering. It starts building up. And so today we're going to talk about it. This is why it's so important for us to guard our hearts because here Stephen is faced with all these religious people who claim to be followers of God, believers in God. And by the end of Acts chapter seven, the same guys who are inviting people into the temple to hear the gospel, pick up stones and stone this young man, Stephen to death, literally in front of everyone. They stone a man to death. But I want us to look at the story of Acts chapter seven, because it is a story of forgiveness. It says, so Stephen began to preach to the Sanhedrin. He says, brothers 
and fathers. Listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father, Abraham. He starts with the Old Testament. He says it was Abraham that God called. And when Abraham left the place he was in and went to an unknown place, God spoke to him and told him he would give him children. But when that didn't work out at first, Abraham got, you know, uh, Abraham didn't know what to do until he trusted God and God blessed him with a child, Isaac. And, And then through Isaac came Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 patriarchs. And we get to verse nine. It says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him into Egypt. Now, Stephen, the martyr in the book of Acts is preaching a sermon about Joseph. And I just think this is ironic that Stephen is about to show radical forgiveness And he decides to spend several scriptures talking about a guy who modeled forgiveness best in the Old Testament. Joseph was one of the greatest examples of forgiveness that we can look at. And and it doesn't mean that it's easy. Like forgiveness is not easy. It is hard. How many of y'all know forgiveness is hard sometimes? You're like, I am still dealing with it. You talking about is making me want to leave right now. I need to take a bathroom break. This is not my sermon. Let's just for a second talk about why forgiveness is hard. Why is forgiveness a hard thing? Why is it such a difficult thing for us to forgive? Ultimately, I think we need to define where unforgiveness comes from, this bitterness of what happens when we are hurt. Let's define bitterness. Bitterness is anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly. Now, all of us in this room are going to experience some unfair treatment. All of us. I don't even have to ask the question. You've all been treated unfairly. All of us have been offended. Luke 17 verse 1 says offenses will come. In other words, you will have offenses come into your life. Disappointments will come. All of us in this room. I don't have to ask the question. We've all been disappointed. It's not if you get disappointed, if you get hurt, if you get offended. It's what you do once it happens. Some people go, That hurt, that was painful, but I would rather get on the path of forgiveness than get on a path of revenge and bitterness. Because if I'm on the path of forgiveness, I get better, my family gets better, I don't deal with so much cynicism, resentment, anger, I don't repeat the cycle of pain on more people. If I can get on the path of forgiveness, it doesn't mean that I've all of a sudden just forgotten what they did to me or that I excuse their poor choices. Forgiveness does not mean that what they did is okay. It just means I am not going to let this fester. Bitterness festers. It's a deep resentment. It's a dwelling. It's a sadness. It's I just can't get past this. I just can't get past this. I remember reading this article by um, John Mayer, uh, a famous secular musician, singer, songwriter. And he said, you know, when when I got wealthy and famous, I had enough money to purchase a good house in in L.A. area, around the Hollywood area. He said down the street was Jamie Foxx, Robert Downey Jr., these, you know, famous celebrities. And he said, I had enough money to build a good wall so that people couldn't see into my yard. The wall was strong. It it was a wall that would guard and protect my house. I had a gate that was high, 12 to 14 feet high gate. I paid for security that would monitor, looking out for me, making sure they're guarding my house, guarding me, because there was crazy fans that were trying to come after John Mayer. He said, not only that, I paid for the most complex security system. I had an alarm system, locks on every door. Nobody could get into my house. 
I paid so much money. He says, this is what celebrities do. We pay the highest amount of money for walls, gates, security systems, alarms, locks on doors. And he said, then I sit down at my laptop and I start reading the reviews about my latest songs. I start reading the tabloids about what people are saying about me and my relationships. And he said, I start reading the most horrendous things. And suddenly these comments hop over the wall, bypass the alarm system, get through the locked doors and go straight into my heart. And he said, as celebrities, we are the worst at guarding our hearts. We're the best at guarding our houses, the best at guarding our external stuff, but the worst at guarding our hearts. Now, this is a secular person talking as Christians. We know we are called most of all, guard your heart above all else. Proverbs four, verse 23 says, guard your heart more than anything else. What did Stephen need to know going into this circle of people that were ravenous wolves waiting to attack him? He needed to know you may not be able to convince these guys. No matter how much explaining you do, some people are committed to misunderstanding you. You know what I'm talking about? And here Stephen is, he's preaching this incredible message from the old Testament to the new Testament. And these people are growling at him. It, the Bible actually says they're grinding their teeth. They're grinding their teeth. And Stephen is doing his best to preach. And all of a sudden, everybody said, guard your heart, guard your heart, guard your heart. We're in a world of people who have unguarded hearts and anything can come in. I want to look at, he starts talking about Joseph here. He says, there was a jealousy towards Joseph and out of their jealousy, the anger led them to almost murder him. But instead of murdering him, they thought, let's make money off him. So they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and God rescued Joseph from all of his troubles. Can I tell you something? When you guard your heart, God looks out for you. When you stay in a place of love and mercy, God is with you might still go through valleys. You might still go through hurts. You might still feel like you are in the bottom of the pit. You might still feel abandoned. I'm not saying that everybody's going to like you. That is not a promise in the Bible, but God will be with you. God is with you and you and God are the majority. If you got God with you, if you can be right with God in your heart, the most important person to be right with is God. I'd rather be right with God and wrong with everybody else than be right with everybody else, but wrong with God. But we live in a world where we want to be popular. We want to be liked. We want everybody to approve of us. And that's a tough thing because Joseph here finds himself alone with God and God would rescue him from his troubles. And Stephen says he gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain, gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him the ruler over Egypt and all his palace because Joseph was walking with a guarded heart, a love of forgiveness. God promoted him. God lifted him up. But then a famine struck all of Egypt and Canaan, verse 11, bringing great suffering and our ancestors could not find food. Who were the ancestors? The 12 brothers who almost killed Joseph, tried to assassinate him, but instead sold him as a slave. This is why we got to be careful when we burn a bridge, we might have to cross the same bridge we burned. Never burn a bridge. Try your best to do everything you can to make it right. So here it is. The same brothers who sold him when Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, verse 12, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph saw his brothers and he told him who he was. I want to go back to that moment. Let's let's go back in the Old Testament to Genesis 45. 
Genesis 45. In fact, let's look at Genesis. Before we go to Genesis 45, let's look at Genesis 42. Genesis 42. You all with me this morning? Can we dive into Bible study? Genesis 42. What does forgiveness look like? And we'll start with verse five. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was a famine in the land of Canaan. And in verse six, now Joseph was the governor of the land. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And verse seven, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke harshly to them. You can see the human side of Joseph here. It's not that he had the most guarded, perfect heart of forgiveness. He's still dealing with them. You think you forgave someone until you run into them at Target again. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was good until your name popped up on Facebook, on, on, on Instagram. I was okay. We were doing good until we ran into them at Walgreens. And it's like, your heart starts beating again. The blood pressure starts to rise. Can I talk to some real people at church today? Anyone in the room? You, you're, it's, forgiveness is a process. It's a process. Even as I'm preaching right now, I can just feel the Holy Spirit going, yes. I do. I feel the Holy Spirit going, yeah. Don't be mad if you're in a process. At least you're in a process. I'd rather be in a process that's painful and uncomfortable, but headed in the right direction than be on the other path of, I don't even want to see them again. I never want to look at them, never want to talk to them. I am done. I have canceled. I am so done with them. You know what I'm saying? Because that path, that path is where some of these shooters ended up. That path is where families have been broken and pulled apart. That path is where toxicity gets passed on. I remember going to this counselor several years ago, and they were talking to me about the importance of forgiveness. And they said, how many times have you been disappointed as a pastor's kid growing up in the church, families, situations that happened with your dad and mom, situations that happened with you and, and, and as a pastor? And I was like, oh, too many to count. And so the counselor said, let's start unpacking it. And she, she said this to me and Ashley. She was a, an older pastor's wife named Denise. And she said, each of these disappointments is like a rock. I need some help this morning. Uh, Tim, would you help me out? I want you to just put this backpack on in front of you. Wear it like one of those baby, what's it called? A baby Bjorn or something? Is that what it is called? Yeah. So a lot of us in this room, we go, I'm going to guard my heart. I'm going to guard my heart. And as soon as something bad happens in our life, someone hurts us, someone says something mean to us, someone does something to us, and we go, that was so wrong. That was so wrong. That was so wrong. But I'm guarding my heart. And another situation comes along. Some of y'all have had one of these happen recently. You're like, Paul, it wasn't just a pebble. It was a 10-pound rock but I'm guarding my heart. Are you okay? Okay. You can get back at me after, after this service. Whatever you want to do, you can punch me or whatever you need to do. Tim's like, I forgive you. I forgive you. <laughs> In the next service, he's not going to sit on the front row. He's going to have Drew do this for me. And then more stuff comes along. It's not just what they did to me. Paul, it's what they did to my kids. It's what they did to my mom. It's what they said. Paul, if I'm honest, the rocks are getting heavier and they're causing me to bend. 
This is what happens. An unguarded heart. All of a sudden, you got to keep it all. You can't even stand up. It's got you so bent over. Bitterness affects your posture. There's moments in the Bible where Jesus encounters people and they're just like this because of what life has done to them. I just couldn't let it go. I couldn't. What my ex did to me, I couldn't let it go. What the religious people did to me, here Stephen is, surrounded by religious people who are supposed to be protecting him, and they are killing him with their words. You go, I may not have, Paul, I've never killed anyone. Yeah, you may never have killed anyone with your actions, but maybe you've killed them with your words. Maybe you've killed them with your thoughts. Some of you have thought about murdering somebody. I know. You go, how does he know that? How's he reading my thoughts? I just know because we're human. When someone really hurts us, we start thinking thoughts. If I could put your thoughts up on the screen when you have been hurt the most by somebody and you are all by yourself in the car and you are imagining things, y'all are like, don't put that up on the screen. It's rated R. Don't put it up on the screen. So how do I, how do I get rid of this? Forgiveness allows me to start unpacking the stones. Forgiveness allows me to say, God, what they did was wrong, but I'm choosing to bring it to the altar. I'm choosing not to let this affect me. I'm not going to carry this. In fact, I'm going to take off this backpack. What if a guarded heart has nothing in front of it except the blood of Jesus? What if a guarded heart is not wearing armor right here, but just the breastplate of righteousness to say his mercy has, has given me so much love. His grace has empowered me through so much of my own sin. How could I not offer forgiveness for what Jesus has given to me? So when rocks come, because they will come. You go, well, what do I do when rocks come? If I don't have a backpack, what do I do with the rocks? Would you just stand right here, Tim? I'm not going to hurt you. <laughs> when a rock comes to someone who's not got a pocket, because if you've got pockets, the rocks will fall in there. But when you don't, Tim doesn't have any pockets on his shirt. When there's no pockets, it hits and it falls off. It hits and it falls off like water off a duck's back. Rhino hide, heart of a dove. I purpose in my heart to walk in love because I am a forgiven, loved believer. Give Tim a big hand. <laughs>